What do you know about superconductors? Nothing. Me neither. But I own a huge company that dominates the world market for superconductors. Really? Ah. Sit down. Dr. Ellison, you were in his office yesterday? Yes. Uh, he told me your news. He thought that uh, you and I might be able to help each other. You got any whiskey? Nope. I want to hire you, Joe Banks. I want to hire you to jump into a volcano. You know, I do have some whiskey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are going to be looking at our second episode that has been based on a recommendation by a listener. Uh, you, you know, we've had a lot of recommendations within the panel of, like, favorite films of certain people on the panels or movies they've heard about or been recommended to them. So uh, one of our first was The Fall which is a very good movie that uh, few people have seen, including myself at that time. Uh, our regular Jack suggested that one. Um, our regular Jess has suggested a couple, and we have another by her coming up. We did Sorry to Bother You, and we did Swiss Army Man, which were both very good movies, and you know I would have done those on the show eventually anyway. So we've had a lot of those kind of internal suggestions, but so far we've only had one external suggestion i welcome them so hit me up on facebook uncanny cinema on facebook or uh, i'm more active on twitter so uncanny cinema on twitter or at cinema uncanny is the handle so you can hit me up in a message if you have something and if i think it fits the show um, i can roll with it but the previous one we had was a movie called the beast or the beast of war which is a 1980s war movie about the Russian-Afghani conflict. And uh, it focuses on, like, a group of Russian soldiers in a tank. It was good. Um, so we have an episode on that, if you ever want to track that one down. For this one, we are going to be looking at the 1990 movie Joe vs. the Volcano. It is a Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan romantic comedy. It is the first of the uh, kind of trifecta of Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan romantic comedies that was followed by uh, Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. Both of those are much more famous. I mean, Sleepless in Seattle was like a legit phenomenon at the time that it came out. And then You've Got Mail wasn't to that level, but was seen as sort of like, a, oh, they did another one again and we love them together. And <laughs> yeah. But Joe versus the Volcano was actually the first time they were paired together on screen. And this, uh, this one came as a request from uh, one of our listeners, Chloe Barlow. She's on Twitter, and uh, she's a writer of uh, romance books. And she's listened to some of our episodes and reached out, and this is a, a movie that she really likes. And I was aware of it. I saw this one as a kid, but I hadn't seen it since. And it is a pretty under-the-radar Tom Hanks movie and Meg Ryan movie. So I was like, yeah, that fits us. And since it is a 1990 movie, I went ahead and roped in the boys from Revenge of the 90s, who've been on numerous episodes where we've done these uh, partner-up episodes. 
So uh, I think the last one we did was for the classic 1932 horror film Freaks. One which, of us. Yes. One, one of us. us. Which yes. their minds were absolutely blown by Freaks. <laughs> I think about it which... like every third day. <laughs> Stop. It's amazing. I love that it was so effective. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so this is a team-up episode. So uh, I'll air this as part of Uncanny Cinema. But you could also be listening to this episode right now as part of Revenge of the Nineties. So if you listen Hi, to Un- <laughs> yes, so if I you listen to Uncanny Cinema, um, feel free to look up Revenge of the Nineties because they have a lot of great stuff over there too. They're on Twitter and Facebook, uh, Revenge of Nineties Pod. And uh, if you're listening to this on Revenge of the Nineties, please come check us out at Uncanny Cinema. They focus on the Nineties, and we focus on more obscure films. They do obscure films too, but we focus like specifically. Our thing is like lesser-known movies and overlooked stuff and things that didn't get their due. And then every once in a while, we shake it up when we do do something famous. But usually, it's um, it's things that aren't too you know famous, well-known, popular, that kind of thing. But we're bringing them on for this. Uh, it will be released under both platforms. So welcome, Steve. Welcome, Fabs. Thanks for having us on, man. Let's get, yeah. let's get wild. Let's start off the new year hot. Hot yes. like a volcano. Yeah, Woo! that's what I meant. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this episode for me probably won't air till like March or something. And then you guys probably will be like june 18th but yeah the new year all right <laughs> spring it's spring or summer wherever you are 2023 it's january somewhere baby <laughs> all right so uh yeah so we're gonna dig into this one uh, a little bit of background i'll say uh for joe versus the volcano uh and and once again, thank you, Chloe, for uh, recommending this to us. And as I said at the top, if uh, if anyone has any more, feel free to shoot me a message. But digging into Joe vs. the Volcano, 1990, written and directed by John Patrick Shanley, who was a guy that I wasn't really familiar with, but I was looking him up. And so he wrote the very famous play and film Doubt that mm-hmm. is focused on a Catholic school that uh, they made a movie into it with um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And Meryl Streep, the whole idea of like it's a question of whether or not a priest uh, abused a boy or not. And there's kind of like a back and forth of like the priest has a certain story. And then the nun who is Meryl Streep is just convinced that he must be lying. And it's it's a really interesting play. Um, I mean, play and film really good. Um, but he also wrote many other plays. I'm not familiar with them. So some of them might be, you know, like incredibly famous in the theater world. But I did see that he had a, a lot of plays to his uh, name. But in film, he wrote the film Moonstruck, which obviously was a big deal back in the day and uh, won some Oscars. He wrote the film adaptation of Alive. So the uh, famous story oh, of the yeah. soccer team who were trapped in the Andes. Oh, we and, did that one. It's an yeah. Andes episode. Yeah, so that was, a, that was originally a book, a nonfiction book based on the event of the soccer team who gets uh, trapped and uh, has to resort to cannibalism, a famous event in, I believe, the 80s or late 70s. And then they turn it into a film in the early 90s, so he wrote the uh, script for that. He wrote We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, that uh, animated oh. film from the 90s. <laughs> yeah. He also wrote Congo. Yeah, baby. Um, yes. the, the film version. You know, Michael Crichton obviously wrote the book, but he uh, was credited for the screenplay. And 
he had uh, a handful of other film credits um, going on out there. So, you know, he, he has had like an extensive career in both film and uh, and theater, although I think that Joe vs. the Volcano might have been the only one that he wrote and directed. My guess is it wasn't a big success. I think it was like a modest success. But my guess is maybe because it wasn't like this big comedy hit that, you know, maybe they were kind of like, yeah, we trust you to write stuff, but uh, keep you out of the director's chair. He did or direct maybe Dallas. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. Was, yeah. I, yeah so I he did it took a while, but he did do doubt. Yeah, gotcha. And doubt is well done. So, um, you know, and mm-hmm. this movie I think is well directed as well. Um, okay, so uh, a couple other notes before we kick off here. Uh, so Tom Hanks plays Joe Banks, is our lead. Uh, Meg Ryan plays actually three roles in this. She plays a character named Dee Dee, who works with Tom Hanks in the early part of the film when Tom Hanks works at um, just like kind of an industrial medical company. Then she plays Angelica and she does like different voices and different characterizations. And it's kind of like over the top stuff for each. Angelica is um, the daughter of kind of a important character. And she's setting some things up for Tom Hanks. And then Angelica's half sister, Patricia, who is the main uh main female lead although she weirdly does not show up until like halfway through the movie um so uh so she plays three roles lloyd bridges is the father of those last two meg ryan characters he plays samuel harvey Graynamore, which is a fantastic name he's mm-hmm. playing like a rich eccentric guy Robert Stack, the great Robert Stack of uh, Unsolved Mysteries and Basketball fame, shows up <laughs> as Dr. Ellison. Uh, he's also on the Untouchables and shit. But anyway, uh, he shows up as a doctor character, um, and uh, it's fun to see him pop up. Abe Vigoda, the uh, famed actor Abe Vigoda, who was in The Godfather, and also classics such as Good Burger. And uh, in episodes of uh, Conan O'Brien's Late Night, um, <laughs> such as like when they would do many uh, goofy things with Abe Vigoda, such as the final episode where they released Abe Vigoda into the wild, which I always, <laughs> always loved that that was a thing that Conan did. Um, he shows up. He plays a chieftain of the Waponi tribe, a fic- fictional tribe. Um, Ava Goda, I think, was Italian. Fa- Steve Fabs, you're Italian. Was Vagoda? Is that Italian? Yeah, name? that sounds Italian. I would yeah. say so. Sure. So, uh, so yes. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, we eventually get to some native characters, and I don't think a single one of them is being played by anyone that could even approach being a Pacific Islander. Um, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so he uh, yeah. shows up. Uh, we also have Nathan Lane playing a Pacific Islander uh, in the back half of the film. Dan Hadea, who's been in many, many things over the years, a lot of character roles and stuff. Probably we've done so thing. many Dan Hadea '90s movies at this Dick? point. He's our did most you do Dick. Yeah, we did. We've done the Dick. Yeah, we have done yeah. Dick. Uh, we've done. I think Dan Hadea is our most covered. Coolest. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and what's great is we have like so many more. I can't wait to do First Wives Club. <laughs> Uh, Alien Resurrection. Uh, you know, well, we my all. my favorite Dan Hedaya is probably going all the way back to Blood Simple. 
Oh, uh, the yeah. Coen brothers yeah. first. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's a very sinister, dark Dan Hedaya compared to like his more uh, goofy performances and things. So he mm-hmm. shows up. Uh, Amanda Plummer has a brief role. She's, uh, you know, she's been in a bunch of stuff over the years, but probably most famous to people for being in Pulp Fiction as Honey Bunny at the beginning and end of Pulp Fiction when uh, she and Tim Roth are robbing the restaurant and Jules has to, like, talk them down from, you know, killing everybody and shit. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's been in a bunch of stuff, a lot of indie stuff. And Ossie Davis uh, shows up as kind of a mentor character, the great Ossie Davis, uh, who is in Do the Right Thing and Bubba Hotep. And uh, in a very small role, Carol Kane, the amazing Mm -hmm. Carol Kane, who most recently was on uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt in an amazing part. And one of my favorite Christmas classics, Scrooged, um, she was in it. So... Any regular listener will know I don't always, like, go through a full cast. Sometimes we're doing movies that are so obscure you've never heard of a single fucking person and it's just not worth it. (laughs) But on this one, like, there's a lot of big people in this in a lot Mm. of, you know, in small roles and things. But, like, people you've heard of, people who are good, I'd say for the most part they're good in this. They, they they show up and they, like, do their part well and they're worth watching. They kept me going with it. So if you've never heard mm-hmm. of Joe vs. Volcano, um, you know, some of that cast might uh, might entice you. But we'll jump into other aspects. We'll jump into the plot and everything. So let's open the floor here. And what do we make of Joe versus the Volcano? I, I will say um, Abe Vigoda is Russian or a Russian, uh, Russian Jewish. Okay. Russia, I thought uh, he. Gonna... I thought he might be Jewish. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was also, thinking, yeah, he I was, was married two times for twenty-four years each. So oh, fun. Wow. A, so fun. Ava Vigoda facts. Like at the same time. No, no. So he was married from <laughs> uh, thirty-nine to sixty-three and sixty-eight to ninety-two. All right, so Uncanny Cinema and Revenge <laughs> of 90s, your source for Abe Vigoda factoids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're like, we'll, we'll we're like the Snapple more. cap for Abe Vigoda facts. <laughs> we'll tease um, some more out the rest yeah. of the episode. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw some out there. Um, I So I'd never seen this movie. I had always I, – I remember the, the cover art like very distinctly. It's really cool cover art uh, at the video store. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm a huge Tom, uh, Tom Hanks fan. If you listen to our Apollo 13 episode, like Steve and I love Tom Hanks. Um, I, I really like this movie. I, it was really weird. It had that. Um, and I think we talked about this in, uh, our nothing but trouble. It had that weird, like late eighties, early nineties. Like they did a lot of strange, like Beetlejuice, nothing but trouble, Dick Tracy, a lot of like strange stuff in cinema with lighting choices and set pieces and uh, like big, robust, like crazy, um, like obviously hand drawn like backgrounds. And so I I thought it was really neat. I mean, it's uh, definitely not my favorite Tom Hanks movie, uh, but it was just so bizarre. It reminded me of kind of like Brewster's Millions a little bit, which I love. And so. I overall I dug it. Real real quick, you mentioned the like kind of like really stylized stuff. I was reading on IMDb, so there's a scene where he and one of the Meg Ryan's uh, are standing on like uh, I don't know. They're overlooking New York and looking out on a river. So I think they're on the back of a boat, 
and they're they shot this in a studio, so they're not actually out, you know, on oh, anything. Yeah. But in the yeah, background, they have like a matte painting of like a very colorful fake uh, New York at night. But uh, according to the trivia, it said you know that that was obviously all on a soundstage, but that the the river that you're seeing isn't actually water; it's um, black trash bags that were like stretched out. <laughs> And then they, like, blew, like, uh, air at them to, like, make Mm. them move. And so on camera, it looks like fucking waves. And I was like, you know, I know a good bit about, like, behind-the-scenes production and obviously, like, Hollywood magic. And there's all kinds of tricks and shit people use. But that's one I'd never heard about. And I rewound it and looked at it. And I was like, holy shit, I'm almost positive that's what I'm looking at right now. Once you know it, it's like, yeah. But not knowing it you just accept like yeah that's you know that's absolutely that's water or whatever um that's so yeah they were wild. doing some kind of cool like throwback things there steve there was like a there was like that feel of the stage in a lot of the setups and everything which certainly plays to like who was behind the camera there's two things that i like about this movie it is in that fascinating era of tom hanks for me right before he was like i think i'm just going to become the biggest best actor in the world where he was like i i'm beyond i'd like to make 500 million dollars now please (laughs) like it's such an interesting turn because like it's and this movie is a great example of like how you know good an actor he is because there's like these like little when he delivers some of these philosophical lines with this like gravitas that's just like it, it like entrances you a little bit and you see the seeds but i don't i'm trying to think of like other actors like him where they I wouldn't say he was like meandering about in his early career. He was making like some good, interesting stuff. But I don't know if the, I'm trying. To, I'm sure there's names. I'm maybe Bill Murray even. But like a guy who did, started his career one way and then just did like this complete shift and became someone completely different. Jim and Carrey tried. He has yeah. he continues to try before he went back to Sonic. Yeah. It was like, right, all right. right. <laughs> Money, please. And, and to his credit, I think Jim Carrey is a really good actor, too. He is. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But none of his, like, drama – well, actually, some of his dramatic stuff in yeah. the 90s was fantastic. But recently yeah. – yeah, you know. But, he, well, yeah, um, I, I, I feel like he, he had some solid dramatic stuff, but then he had some stuff that just didn't work. And so he was never like Tom Hanks just had so many in a row and he became America's dad. And then at that right. point, it's like, you know, oh, there's a captain of something of a ship of an airplane of whatever as uh, Tom Hanks. We need you yeah. know. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it's uh, I don't know. It's just like weird. it's like a weirdly fascinating thing for me. And then um, I had never seen this movie either. So, you know what I'm like really drawn to with this is that, yeah, it's like it's a little zany and it's a little absurd and like, it's a little uneven in some places. It's kind of like a real light goofy little story. Um, But like, it really has some incredible writing about like life and sort of like what you do with your life and sort of the existential dread you might feel or, or what you make of your life and how love fits all into it. It's a really fascinating movie that I think I've been thinking about 
since it since I watched it and I didn't think that would be the case, I kind of was like, oh, well, it's an early Tom Hanks movie. It'll probably be like fun. And then that's it. But it really kind of sticks with you. Like, I don't know. You know, I, I'm like unpacking some things that the characters were saying and feeling. And because like one of the things that stuck out to me was like, you know, uh, you know, a lot of it deals with like fate and stuff. So like I, I found it very interesting that multiple times when he spoke to the Meg Ryan characters, I believe it was the first and the last one where he said, you know, as like bookends to the movie, he was like, um, you know what I thought the first day I met you? I thought I had seen you before or I knew you before. And so I'm like, you know, that gets into, you know, the concept of soulmates and maybe even reincarnation and like, then there's like this weird moment where he like prays to God on the luggage and gets like really, really ultra serious and it takes a weird turn there. So there's just so much of it this also like felt a lot like castaway in that moment. Yes, it, it did. did. Yeah, yes. it really yes. did. Um, so it's I don't know, it, like it's a weirdly more effective movie than I thought it was going to be, which I think is how it became sort of a cult classic yeah yeah for myself uh yeah on the cult thing it like so it had a mixed response at the time but it's become kind of a cult film since um roger ebert was a big supporter of it at the time and when he did like some festivals and things later he included it um just because he he enjoyed the kind of brazenness of it that it was like taking big swings and taking chances uh which i can understand like for myself i didn't think it was all that funny I didn't think it was not funny. Like, I wasn't like, oh, God, that's a groaner. Or, like, this is, like, terrible. I just wasn't, like, laughing out loud. But I think uh, I think it was occasionally amusing. I think it's very light and breezy. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of good performances by all those people I mentioned. So they, like, help carry a lot of stuff. And I think if I had to give, like, one word summary of it, I think it's definitely a very charming movie. I think it does a lot of things that, like, you know, it's it's charming, and I can see why uh, people would be drawn to it. I think some of the romantic comedy stuff doesn't totally work. Um, I the the having Meg Ryan be three characters was kind of interesting because it was like you see two versions of Meg Ryan. The first version, um, Tom Hanks is trying to like sleep with her, and we can explain where he's at at that point in his life in a moment, but he's trying to sleep with her. I mean, it's nothing nefarious, but he's just like for the night kind of thing. And she freaks out because of some information she, he tells her. And so she like, it doesn't work. And then the next girl who's also Meg Ryan, they don't exactly like kind of click. And there's some kind of back and forth and weirdness. And, um, and then the third girl is like the, the real Meg Ryan, the right one. And she only comes in halfway through. So I thought that was an interesting approach where it's like in a normal romantic comedy, you would have those kind of like you would have character. I mean, like you've got mail. It's been years since I saw it. But in you've got mail. They hate each other at the beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're rivals. Yeah. And that's usually how a lot of romantic comedies basically start is like, oh, I hate you. You're doing this. You're ruining this or whatever. And, you know, or you're my best friend's boyfriend. And, you know, you've never mm-hmm. been good enough for her. And it's like that kind of stuff. And then they fall in love. And so it's like the drama in the beginning is how 
you know, how these characters like oppose to each other. And then you have to have that arc of where they come together or it's not satisfying. And so the movie operates in an interesting way where like you kind of get these other two girls kind of take the place of that of like, well, here are the ones that aren't going to work. Right. And then we land on the one who will. But and so it's interesting, but I think where it makes it a little difficult is then our leading our real leading lady doesn't show up till halfway through the movie. And then I feel like they kind of rush the like fallen in love part, because like when she starts saying like near the end, like she's in love with him, I was like, have they have 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 they done enough for us? You've been knocked out for half your time together. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it helps that she plays the same. Like it only really works because right. it's her playing yeah. all three characters. Yeah, so like, if, if they didn't, it's like then it would fanciful work less. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, it's a little whimsical in that. Like that's the only possible way it works. I will say, as I, I would agree with you on the um, the the fact that it's a charming movie and that for the most part you're you're enjoying it. You know, the, I, I don't think I'm really cringing at any of it, other than maybe the troublesome uh, <laughs> act on the. Uh, Waponi Island, uh, which, you know, might seem problematic 30 years later. But um, I will say the one line that really got me chuckling um, was when he's buying his luggage and this man he's buying the luggage from at the store is taking his job, takes his job very seriously. It's his life. And he's showing him this like ultra watertight, like like the, you know, lug- the the suitcase 5000. Basically, it's the most like top of the line thing and uh it's the Tom cadillac goes, of automobiles that's right yeah and he goes uh if i was going on a trip like this this is what i would take and tom hanks goes i'll take four and the guy goes may you live to be a thousand years sir or may, may you live to be a thousand years old thousand years old sir and uh he ta- says it with such like seriousness that i was like i will be taking that line uh may you live to be a thousand years old sir and using it in life um i cannot believe that's not zeitgeisty but the uh um, the one that made me laugh pretty good was lloyd bridges shows up and we can get in the plot here momentarily but lloyd bridges proposes something to tom hanks's character and lloyd bridges this eccentric rich guy is how it's presented and he comes in tom hanks's kind of like shitty apartment like new york apartment and he just flat out says not a nice place you have here joe dingy shabby dinky and he like punches his cane through a wall and it's just like a good bit of like i mean lloyd bridges was a great comedian and was in you know airplane and a lot of other like zucker stuff and you know he could be really funny so he was just kind of like playing up stuff really well so i dug that and i really do we can come back to it later but i wish lloyd bridges was in the movie more because he was my favorite element and i was like why is this guy not being woven into this plot please bring him back at least like i would have i would have thought like i assumed he'd come in at the end to ensure right. that joe would jump that right. was what i well, yeah yeah i thought he would already be at the island or would have some kind of compound on the island overseeing like the you know the puppet master overseeing it with his wealthy surveillance system type thing and i i assumed he was going to be the come the sacrifice like i i just was like waiting for him to come come back at the end well and there's so much comedy you can mine out of that too because he's this like old rich white guy who's eccentric and then he's on a pacific island and he's gonna like look down on them and like you know he's gonna be like either snide or like treating them like children or like 
talking behind like there's so many angles you can go with it of like how right. he, how he plays it to their face how he plays it behind their backs like there's a lot of comedy you can mine out of that and plus it's lloyd fucking bridges so like why right. don't you have him there please bring him back <laughs> yeah right the idea of him having yeah. his own compound like that very bond villain uh, lloyd bridges as a bond villain <laughs> would have been a very inspired <laughs> choice oh it as that character yeah it would have been, it would have been amazing um yeah. I I know we're going to get in the pot. I just found – one of the things I found interesting about the movie that you don't really get going for like 25, 30 minutes, which is like not at all uh, – for a comedy that's like an hour and 40 minutes, hour and 35, like that's not really how how the uh, the cadence usually works. Like he, he – the when he leaves his job, you're 27 minutes into the film and then – when he accepts the thing that we're going to talk about, it's like minute 33, 34. So like that is like a crazy amount of time spent him in the in the workplace, him like setting everything up. So I found, I enjoyed it though. Like I thought it was such a bizarre depiction of like a depressing life he's living. Uh, so like I was there for it. I just found it like I found it interesting. I, I even even when it doesn't work, like I like when movies take chances um, when you could just totally do this the the safe thing every single time the super mario brothers effect we'll call it correct yes yes um all right so which of you boys would like to uh give us kind of uh the log line the basic outline of the plot here i get started um usually when i do these i screwed up pretty terribly and so uh then fabs will do it i always need some help uh no so joe banks um Tom Hanks plays Joe Banks. Um, he is, uh, like you kind of said, Fab's at a dead end, like terrible job where Dan Hedaya is his boss. And it's like very like, uh, it felt very like Mike Judgy office space sort of where it's like, okay. it's very much like a surreal depiction of what like office life is where, you know, the as he mentions, the fluorescent lights are sucking out his eyeball juices and um, everybody's like cartoonishly like horrible looking and the lighting is grotesque and the walls are like brown and like just like discolored and um he has this like incredibly weird useless job doing like archival like for their marketing materials or something it's like really like it's not really a job so he hands calendars to them too like anybody's not allowed to order the calendars yeah right exactly so like It, it feels very like tps reports you know it feels like just yeah. like very strangely office spacey. So I, I really liked it for that. And then um, so he is like a hypochondriac. And so he always kind of assumes that he's sick. And so he's going to all these doctor's appointments and uh, spending all of his life savings on trying to figure out what's wrong with him. And he finally goes to a doctor um, who says that he has something called a brain cloud, um, which, according to this doctor, is like a black cloud black thing going like down the center of his brain and eventually will just like shut his brain down in the rest of his body and so he convinces tom hanks that he's got six months to live um because of this brain cloud and so he he's like hey you should go on a trip somewhere you should take a vacation um you know go live your life and so uh Didi, who is the uh, secretary at this company, one of Meg Ryan's characters, he 
goes on a date with her finally because he'd always been too timid to ask her out. And then that's where you see this transformation of his character into like, I'm living life, quits baby. His job. Yep, quits his has job like a and like good tells scene. everybody off. Yep, has a good scene where he uh, bitches out uh, Dan Hedaya. Uh, with I love a good quitting like. scene. That's always that's always fun to watch. It is exhilarating. Yeah, it's always fuck you, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. You're cool, and fuck you. I'm out. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, reminiscent of that, and. Uh, so then he he goes on uh, he and then yeah before he leaves he, he comes back in and he's like hey Didi you want to go out tonight for dinner and she says yes and so this is where you talked about Lynn uh, where um, sh- they come back to his place at the end of the night and that's when he they're like making out and he tells her that he's got six months to live and she gets really spooked by that and leaves and so the which next I thought morning, was like I understand for the plot like okay sure but I don't know like. Like, throw him a bone, she, then, she, right? What's that? She clearly liked him. She clearly liked him, right? So I mean, she, right. Wasn't even, she wasn't even rejecting it. Of like, oh, I thought this was going to be something more. Like, you know, we could develop a relationship, and obviously, you're dying. But it was kind of like you—you you knew going back to his apartment, you were just going to sleep together. So, like, how has that changed? Knowing that right. he might die six months from now, it's like, yeah, that sucks. But I don't know. I just thought it was kind of like, oh, that's you know. What's this for? Yeah, right. Yeah, like you said, for the plot. But it's like, right. come on, man. Um, so he's in a bad place the next morning playing his ukulele, and that's when Lloyd Bridges. I do like the shot of him peeking, like when he opens up his blinds, and there's Lloyd Bridges, like you know, giant face there. Um, I thought that was funny, but then he shows up at his door that morning and tells him weaves this story that is uh i would say this movie did not understand or realize how like prescient it would be because i can guarantee you elon musk has done this already to somebody because there are many rare minerals that he needs for his batteries at tesla and his semiconductors and like there's a whole world of like the mining for ev minerals that like either him or Bezos or somebody has like done this exact story to somebody at some point in, in the present day. I'm, I'm sure of that. So it, yeah. And like, I, I don't about, buy like, for semiconductors. a minute. It's like really like, it's like a weirdly modern situation. And I don't buy for a minute that Su- that dude wouldn't. Right. Uh, is it superconductors or they say semiconductors. Well, superconductors uh, are. I think you the, said superconductors are the real okay. like Im- thing with computers. I don't know if semiconductors are a different thing, but I think you they're... said superconductors. Well, that's what semiconductors are. What they're used nowadays for like oh, EV is it? batteries okay. and like I so maybe know. I like was just thinking about it. Well, whatever. Who cares? So it's um... no, 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 no. <laughs> we are spending an hour on this, Steve. <laughs> You're gonna find no. this while 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 Fabs regales us with some Abe Vigoda facts. <laughs> All right. I have 15 lined up. No, I, I don't buy that. That dude wouldn't have just killed those Islanders and, and just, just taken all the minerals himself. He buys the Island and they, they're, they're gone. He throws them all in the volcano. So yeah, the, uh, so, so from there where, where Steve has teed us up, um, 
our uh, our eccentric, rich, um, you know, millionaire, whatever he's presented as. Uh, he's looking for the fictitious. I had to look this up, but I was almost positive that it wasn't going to be real. A fictitious mineral called Boobaroo, and, uh, and and that's that's the name that's given. Unobtainium. Yeah, basically. And so he needs Boobaroo for his uh, superconductors, so for like computer equipment, and he um, and it's it's really hard to find. And he says that you know. This this small island nation has like copious amounts of it, and so he's trying to like do every deal he could possibly do to like get the natives to give up the boobaroo, and they're not interested in anything he's offering. To Fab's point, yeah, he would probably just have the U.S. government murder them, but uh, <laughs> that's not where the plot goes. Um, what he does is he is looking for someone to serve as a sacrifice for the Waponis. Because the Waponis believe um, that so there's a volcano on the island, hence Joe versus the volcano. There's a volcano, and for the volcano slash god to be appeased, someone must willingly throw themselves into the volcano like once a century, and that century is coming up in like the next 12 days or some shit. And so. Lloyd Bridges says he heard about Tom Hanks and his condition from the doctor and that he needs someone to do this and the Waponis don't have anyone who's volunteering and he's like, you used to be a firefighter, you ran into burning buildings, you've looked death in the face, you actually are going to die in six months and uh, so you know this way all expenses paid, get great suits, great food, you know, go there and they'll treat you like a god and everything. I'll put you on a cruise and all this kind of shit. You get there, you jump in the volcano and, you know, then you don't like die in six months. You die a hero and he pitches him on this. And then the movie kind of flippantly presents it as a joke with Tom Hanks going like, all right, I'll do it. And like, you know, (laughs) like that's all that it takes Um, So that's basically the setup for the rest of the film is Tom Hanks, like, kind of, uh, you know, cleaning himself up and learning how to, like, live better. And then as the movie progresses, he's, like, accepting, he's embracing life more. He's been a hypochondriac and he looks terrible. Now he's dressing well. He's looking healthy. He doesn't feel sick. He's enjoying things he's doing. And then it's all leading up to him getting to the island and then eventually jumping in the volcano. So that's like basically what happens to the central plot of it all. Yeah, his hair, his hair really yeah, concerned to, me uh, early in the movie. I was worried. I was like, is he going to have long hair this entire movie? Are you going to have that mullet? This was, was like Jeff Goldblum yeah, in The Fly, were... man. I was like, I don't know <laughs> yeah. about this. Yeah, but Jeff Goldblum pulled that hair Clearly. off. Tom Hanks was not <laughs> yeah, pulling up. Right. No. No, it was like Dan Brown novel Tom Hanks. Right there. I was like, no thanks. I don't, I don't like the Robert Langdon movies solely because it it like it was like one of the earliest like dings on Tom Hanks' most like recent career part of his career where I was like, wait a minute, he can't elevate everything, and it was like that was where he started to yeah. seem human, and I didn't like it. I feel like yeah. Ron Howard just had like blackmail material on him. Like he knows what's hidden in Tom Hanks's basement, <laughs> and that's why Tom Hanks agreed to do that. It's Chet's like twin brother. That's just somehow worse up. than Chet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Chet was the one they let go. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, real quick, Abe Vigoda fact. Uh, his first appearance in Variety came in the April 26, 1950 weekly edition, which showed his upcoming guest shot on ABC's Buck Rogers series. Oh, wow. He was on Buck Rogers? He was on Buck Rogers. This is a great callback. For this and more Abe Vigoda facts, please uh, stalk Fabs on Twitter or Facebook or whatever social media platform you prefer. Follow me at Vigoda Daddy <laughs> on Twitter and Insta. Well, funny you said they're actually used to, I mean, just like in terms of like online Abe Vigoda stuff. Do you guys know there used to be, or I think it still exists, uh, is Abe Vigoda dead? Yeah. Yes. There was yeah. a website, if for anyone listening, there used there was a website, Is Abe Vagoda Dead? And so for years, literally the only thing on the website was just, Is Abe Vagoda Dead? Uh, or or, or is, is Abe Vagoda Alive? Whichever way it was, they would just say that he's alive. And then, of course, obviously, he died. Yeah. And so then the website changed forever. Yeah. Um, I like the... It uh, just says, he is, yeah. <laughs> in just big letters. <laughs> I like the Abe, uh, or I like the uh, Buck Rogers uh, angle because that's a nice callback to a previous Uncanny episode that I w- was just a part of, Planet of the Vampires. So it had a very yeah. Buck Rogers vibe. So it's all it's all coming together here. Yes, that this website that, that, that website is called isabevagodadead.com, dot com, and uh, and it it's just a blank white page, and it just has the word yes period. <laughs> And then, uh, and then underneath it, it has birth and death dates. So uh, I always remember it was like he he was. This was even before Betty White. Anytime Abe Vigoda would trend on Twitter, it would like set, it would like melt it down for a minute because everybody was checking to see like what was going on, and it was usually just his birthday. Oh, I I got a fact about that in about fifteen minutes, and I'll (laughs) I'll I'll wait strategically to play. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one thing we, you know, we were talking about the plot here, and uh, and Steve, you mentioned that the movie was kind of reminding you the early stuff was like kind of Mike Judge. I actually jumped to a couple other film references, and I assume you know one of you, or you know, I assume both of you have seen probably at least one of these. So the beginning, there, you know, they they need to get Tom Hanks in the worst position possible so that he has a good arc. So that his life is miserable, so that when he gets the girl and when he has a life-affirming moment and all that shit, that we have gone on a journey and now it's like, yay, he's Mm -hmm. gonna live. Yep. So they have to start him as low as possible, and so they start him at this, like, dead-end job that he hates and everything's drab and boring and um, just, like, soul-crushing. It actually feels very Brazil. Terry Gilliam's Brazil, the famous film Brazil from the 80s. Um, Fabs is nodding. Steve is yeah. staring blankly. So you need to watch Brazil, <laughs> Stephen. Um, but yes, but Brazil is like probably Terry Gilliam's most famous and most hailed film. Um, but you know that focuses on a. It's like a very bureaucratic look at office life. It's very exaggerated, very dreary, and you see that here with Tom Hanks in those early scenes. And the other one it reminded me of is another '90s movie. Which uh, which has like a business aspect. It has this kind of drudgery, dreariness going on, and a character who is rising as the film goes on is the Coen Brothers' 90, uh, 1994 film, The Hudsucker Proxy. Yes, which is uh, is very for kids. Yes, yes, for kids. Uh, you know, for kids. Uh, it's a, that movie is very in your face, 
clearly a 1930s 40s screwball comedy that they're pulling from those resources like the main uh jennifer jason lee in it talks like an old-timey you know classy dame from one of those old movies where it's like ah you know uh right here down at the picture show you know like Mm -hmm. like she's putting on this like exaggerated thing so this movie doesn't quite lean that hard but it's definitely pulling from like an old school like 30s 40s hollywood screwball kind of tradition not as hard as the coens and not as good as the coens i would say but uh it's in a similar mold so like i think this movie like if you like brazil and if you like Hudsucker Proxy, this could be kind of like a, not as good, but kind of like, a, oh, this is kind of in the same vein in some ways. The other one I'll throw out there, I almost thought you would go this route. Uh, All right. Was uh, The Matrix. So <laughs> I, All right. this movie, oh, it's really interesting because this movie opens in a very like similar like green aesthetic. And like drab okay. aesthetic of like the Matrix. Yeah, in the first and one. Neo's in like a horrible job. Yeah, and okay. he's in a terrible you know, job. Like, and uh, yeah. there's that line that Meg Ryan has on the boat that I thought was really interesting, considering like who her father uh, is as a character. Where she says, "I don't have the full line, but the one line she says is oh, like, my father yeah. says everyone's asleep, and that no, only a few yeah. people are actually awake." And I was like, whoa, yep. did the Wachowski And then she siblings... put a pill in front of Tom Hanks' <laughs> yeah. face. <laughs> yes. I would say this has to serve as early inspiration. So if you like The Matrix, you have to come back to 1990 and see Joe versus the Volcano for the earliest iteration of, of The Matrix. I would I would argue that yeah. it probably lives in the How are you going to connect this one to the 1990 film The Mummy, though, as is tradition? What's what's the connection there? Oh, 1999 there? film I, I'm The sorry. Mummy. I'm sorry. I know when The Mummy came out. I'm just thinking of when this movie I came would say out, this. So this it, up. There was a side adventure on the Waponi Island where Rick O'Connell and Evie were fighting oh, like a, a mythical beast on the other side of the island and like their their climactic scene also was taking place as the volcano was collapsing into the ocean. So wait, did their plot involve time travel to travel yeah, to nineteen? Yeah, it did. Okay. Yeah. Th- hey, this they're, movie they're, doesn't they're have a date on it. Travel. This movie doesn't have a date on it, right? Uh, well, it's there modern. are like very modern cars. <laughs> yeah. Modern cars and American Airlines exists. <laughs> and credit cards, Steve. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I was like, there's no way of telling when this movie could take place. <laughs> You never know. This could be 1800s. I have no idea. But I could see Jonathan definitely, like, teaming up with <laughs> with Lloyd Bridges' character to, like, find a sucker to volunteer to jump into the volcano. Mm-hmm. So that would make – that would definitely line up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of these do involve – yeah, a lot of our concepts do involve some sort of, like, time travel or, like, alternate dimension stuff. So, like, that's the <laughs> only way to make it, it to work. work. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I love, like, the the links you go to to shove the mummy into, like, suburban commando and shit. Like, like here's how it can work. I got it. Well, to be fair, in the Steve, I'm going to have to rewatch the mummy specifically if they date the movie. It's the 30s. Oh, no, it's the um, – he – doesn't he fight – at the beginning of the bum, mummy, he fights uh, in the um, – it's not is – it, isn't it World War One? Oh, maybe, yeah. I, I, maybe, think, they, I think they give dates. I watched it recently, and even if okay. they don't, I think there's enough like context clues of things. It of, could like, be a, a weird steampunk yeah. world, though, Linton, with mummies. Ooh. Steampunk mummy world. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, I, you two are the ones that have watched it like 50 times, so I shouldn't be <laughs> I having to tell you. I know. <laughs> oh, it's so good. 
I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my boy. <laughs> okay, so according to Wikipedia, um, 1926, at least some of the stuff starts taking place. Uh, it's when Evelyn gets the box and map. Okay. So I don't know if there's a jump ahead or if that's where most of the plot takes place. But I would at, think at that least at would some be point, it. that would yeah, yeah, that would track. Yeah, I like how we trickling into looking up stuff about the mummy. <laughs> hey, what if we <laughs> all just like me? I brought I brought up the mummy. I opened this. I knew what I was getting into. What if we put it on right just now? Just like, like the tomb of Hamanoptera. Yeah. What if we just yeah. <laughs> what if we just did a live watch right now? Yeah. Yes. Or just, you know, just have it like on a separate screen, just playing while we, you know, it, it's part of our audio, but we just talk about yeah. the other thing unrelated the whole time. All right. Back Please. to Joe versus the volcano. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the film references. Uh, the real film references I saw of Brazil and Hudsucker felt similar. Steve just hey. sees what he wants to see. Um, the Mike Judge, the office space one was real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like, yeah how does Scream fit into this, Steve? How, how's Joe versus the volcano okay. an example of the Scream franchise? Hear me out. I want to bang Nev Campbell and Meg Ryan. <laughs> God. Actually, no, wait, here it is. Done. Here it is. Okay. Jack Quaid, okay. her son, is in Scream 5. And so I just want to talk about that. I, I Who, Who's Jack Quaid? What are you so, talking about? Just, oh, Meg Ryan's son. Meg Ryan's son. Okay. I will say this. This is the uh, – that's a name we're going to have to hear – Probably for the next like 30 years because he was in Scream 5, but also I wanted to throw out he isn't a very good. Um, well, he's in The Boys, which I haven't really watched, but he's in a good like romantic comedy, uh, with um, uh, what's her name from Pen 15? I'll get mm. it. Um, I, oh god, yeah, it's called Plus One. Um, I feel let's see, let's see here, so. Yeah, Scream 5, which actually it's only called Scream or 5 Cream, um, <laughs> as it should be. My Oh, yeah, my Erskine. Actually, actually, I saw an argument. I know we're going real off the rails here, but that's what Stephen Fab's M.O. is. So that fits really well for their show, not so much for ours. Uh, I will say I did see someone's take, though, on like the fact that they're just calling this one Scream and not 5 Cream uh, or any of that stuff uh, or just Scream 5. It's, you know, if this... If this new scream is trying to ape how and, and do stuff with like reboots and soft reboots, which it, it directly does, I've seen it. They talk about it in the plot. Then you look at how a lot of these movies have been have positioned themselves specifically in horror. And Halloween just called itself Halloween, mm -hmm. and Candyman just called itself Candyman. Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. did and it. So, yeah. <clears throat> well, that one I would say is different because Nightmare on Elm Street was just a straight remake. Whereas, oh, that's, like, these yeah, are, like, yeah. bringing back original people. And so, right. anyway, I saw someone make that point of, like, yeah, if Scream's going to, like, kind of satirize or whatever this trend, then it would make sense that they just still call it just Scream. Yeah, I get that. I will say this, too. Um, the uh, so, so, yeah, so plus one with Maya Erskine, uh, Fabs, you being the wedding movie guy, please watch that. It's fantastic. Um, okay. Uh, I will say Tom Hanks at one point does wear a white sweater that looks very similar to what Matthew Lillard wears in the original Scream. Oh. I, th I thought you were about ready to say Tom Hanks does wear a white sweater that 
I found to be very alluring. I think I think he's a <laughs> I mean, I did. he's a I winter he and it works for him. Yeah. No, I, I uh, uh, it works for me as well. But yeah, so anyway, um, way All right, bit, let's but. get back to Joe versus the volcano. Uh, these boys are notorious for Bring us uh, in taking us into uh, bizarre directions. Ooh, Fast and Furious fun fact. <laughs> All right, you know you shut the fuck up right now. We're not doing that. Okay, um, so that's kind of the basic plot. Um, and you know, as anyone knows who listens to our show, we always do spoilers. So since I think we're probably gonna like jump around a bit and talk about little elements of the movie that we liked or thought was weird why don't we just address where the movie ultimately goes in the plot so fab you want to take that one since both steve and i have yeah absolutely it so far so so yeah joe you know lives lives it out in uh new york and la uh finally catches the boat to head to the island where he meets the real meg ryan becomes the love interest um they're hitting it off pretty well some good chemistry uh, but then, unfortunately, there's a typhoon uh, that sinks the ship. Joe is able to save her, though, and he fastens his super Cadillac luggage four-piece set into a big raft and keeps her alive. Um, eventually, they land on this island, and, you know, he's they, they get spruced up. Uh, there's some weird toe-sucking stuff. For Joe, like they they, they tell him, Fabs is saying it's weird, but he sent us screenshots all through watching the film. So yeah, I'm like, look, guys, I can suck my own toes, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) I did that for about an hour and a half, and then I continued the film. Um, But they told him he's gonna be treated like a king, and then he gets like a bunch of weird stuff gets to happen to him as he gets prepped for this ceremony, and before the ceremony, as as uh, as we previously mentioned. You know, Meg Ryan declares her love for him a little bit out of the blue. He says he loves her, too. They get married on the edge of the volcano. They jump in together. And right when they jump in, it puffs them out. And it <laughs> comically shoots them into the water. They survive. Uh, they get the raft. And uh, they live happily ever after. Dot, dot, dot. Curse of the end. Yeah. Although, and then... And then uh... The entire Waponi tribe, I guess, is dead. They perish. Yeah, well, the movie, I, that was a note I had that this whimsical movie likes to just murder indiscriminately. Because <laughs> yeah. earlier, when they're on this boat, we meet Amanda, uh, or not Amanda Palmer, uh, what was her name? Amanda Plummer, that I mentioned, the Pulp Fiction actress, and she's been a lot of indie stuff. She has a really small role as, like, a member of the boat crew. And then there's a couple, like, dudes who are captaining and first mating the boat and then they they get in this like maelstrom and only tom hanks and meg ryan survive which okay for the plot i understand you want to throw them together and you want to put them through hardship but yeah the other people are just just unceremoniously killed at sea yeah and meg ryan <laughs> and then asks she's like oh, oh did you see him and he's like nope and then that's it. <laughs> the yeah. ship sank. And there's no whimsical thing of like, oh, and they show up at the end, you know, they, they got rescued by a boat. Nope, they're just dead. And then at the end <laughs> of the movie, when like the volcano erupts, um, it just wipes out the entire island of us, I assume, hundreds or thousands of people. And they're just dead now <laughs> in this yeah. whimsical romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah, and it ends with like, they're, um, you know, 
uh, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks like candlelit honeymoon on this luggage as they like <laughs> sail away off into the into the ocean moonlight and uh, at no point does anybody contend with the fact of like what with like what just happened but okay. and even more sadly now Lloyd Bridges can't mine those minerals that is true for his superconductors <laughs> and you know for his superconductors so. well I will say though uh, <laughs> both of you boys skipped over. Probably the key revelation, though, at the end, which is really just oh, yes. more of a, like, the characters stumble into this shit, and they still aren't, like, for sure. They're just kind of guessing. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so at the end, uh, so Tom Hanks reveals to Meg Ryan that he's dying of this, you know, a brain cloud, and that that's why he agreed to jump into this volcano and everything. Um, and she's already kind of made statements about, like, you know, her father being kind of shady and things. But then Tom Hanks mentions the doctor, Robert Stack's character that uh, had told him about it. And she was like, well, that's my father's doctor. And he doesn't have any other patients. Like my father like owns him. And then she puts it together that this was all a setup that basically Lloyd Bridges needed a patsy to get to jump in. So like in theory, Tom Hanks isn't actually sick. Um, she tells him like a brain cloud, like you didn't get a second opinion. Like it sounds crazy. Um, and so that he's not actually sick. He's not actually dying. That's what is implied to the audience. He doesn't really know. It's probably true, but it's basically her just kind of reasoning it out. But that further kind of makes me frustrated. Like Lloyd Bridges should be there at the end. Like this should be stuff that get, that happens at the end and then he gets punished for it. You know, like he gets thrown in the volcano or something, you know, yeah. I don't say you have to kill him. And I liked him as a character. He was fun and zany. But again, it's just like that character should be there when they get to the island. It's a bummer too. Right. You, you don't yeah. want, it's like the last thing you want to do is just exposition yourself into like the end of the movie where you're like, right. Oh, it's this because my father's doctor, that's gotta be it. And it's yeah. like, well, wait a minute. Why didn't we have a fun confrontation on the island where Lloyd Bridges is like, oh, uh... And the doctor could have been there, too. Yeah, like... It, it's the, like, what are you doing here? The doctor could have been there, or you have a you have tribesmen there. What if a medicine man, like, part of the ceremony is he's, like, doing stuff with Tom Hanks, and then he, like, is able to tell he's totally healthy. You know, like, Tom Hanks says, like, oh, well, actually, you know, I'm, I'm dying. He's like, you know, no, you are not. And, yeah. You know, like, some kind of bullshit where it's, like... You can tell, like, maybe Tom Hanks starts to question it or something because this guy has predictive power. You know, I don't know. You could take it different places. I was going to say that. Well, oh, go ahead, Fabs. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that there's like oh. a weird, um, sorry, there's a weird uh, <laughs> alternate universe where this movie takes place like six years later and it's an Adam Sandler movie. And like, <laughs> and, 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 and yes. like, one, and like, uh, you know, one of his. You know, one of his buddies plays the witch doctor or, um, you know, more of the movie takes place on an island because he just uses his movies to go on vacation. And I believe that buddy would be Rob Schneider. It would be Rob yes, Schneider or would. like weirdly Dan Patrick sometimes or Shaq nowadays. Um, <laughs> well, I wish Shaq was in this movie, man. Um, I, or Because like it actually has like a very like a uh, high concept to it as a comedy and and like for better or worse sometimes that's what adam sandler like always does or it could be like even a jim carrey thing like there's a weird 
element to Ooh, this. Yeah. There's a weird element to this where like yeah. you, it, there's another world where the zaniness was amped up and like it would have been a star vehicle for like an Adam Sandler or a Jim Carrey where like all the things we're talking about would have happened where like miraculously the doctor's on the island too and nobody explains it but it's hilarious so you don't really give a shit. Or like the worst version where it's like a Kevin James vehicle and we're like Oh, that would no. be the, like <laughs> if, this. The, if this movie came out in 2022 on Netflix. That's what we all the yeah, uh, exactly. all the trailers have uh, James Brown's "I Feel Good." Wow, <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> and then and that's that's paired against like him looking miserable that he thinks he's dying. <laughs> Joe Banks thought he had it all together. <laughs> no, I was going to say the, the twist you guys didn't mention. This is actually a prequel for Philadelphia. And you find out that Brain Cloud was actually code for AIDS. Oh, my God. And uh, he was sick. <laughs> All right, fam. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Who'd have thought? Yeah. Who would have guessed? Let's, uh, let's, let's get out of this detour and go somewhere With else. With an Abe Vigoda fact. <laughs> Abe Vigoda's first, first death hoax was People Magazine in 1982. He took it with a good sense of humor. Oh, good. That's why people loved him. That's nice. Mm-hmm. This is fa- this um, is Linton taking like the he's like swerving the car onto the exit lane off of this. <laughs> I gotta get back. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this is gonna be like a 14 minute episode. I'm gonna have to cut most of this. <laughs> Keep okay. the Philadelphia part. Cut out the Vagoda facts. All right. So uh, yeah. So I mean, that's kind of like where the plot goes and everything. Um, one aspect. Uh, I would say we, we've alluded to like kind of the whimsical nature of it, but I think it might make sense to like touch on some of how they present things. We we talked about how dreary it is at the beginning and Brazil and Hudsucker, but there's other moments of the movie that get where like the movie is like a lot of times it plays like just kind of a standard romantic comedy, but then other times it'll just be it'll kind of break out a little bit like the director's like, we're going to go a little weird at this moment. And and that is part of what I think the draw is for it. It makes it unique where there's this stylization in certain elements. So if we want to talk about any of those, I have a few things I can bring up, but I'm sure you guys have them as well. Yeah, the one I mean, the, the big one is like when they're uh, floating through the ocean and there's like that giant moon that rises just fills the screen just like essentially yeah, fills yeah. the entire screen and like it lights Tom Hanks in such a unique orangish way and he looks like very castaway like at that moment like just destroyed cuz he'd been on this luggage raft for days at that point and dehydrated and all that and um that's when he like prays to god that he's like thankful for his life and it's like a really like deep moment amidst all of the sort of absurdity to that point. And it's like, it takes, it like really takes this like interesting step back. Uh, and it does that multiple times where usually it's Joe saying some line that just like kind of hits you in that. And it surprises yeah. you because it's a serious anecdote. Cause he has that line with, um, he has a line like that uh, with the driver of the limo um, where he says, like, you know, he asks him to dinner and he says he has his wife and kids. And he's like, 
don't you have anybody? And Joe says no. And he's like, you know, some things, some doors you got to go through on your own. And that, and he's, and he says it in such a Tom Hanks way that it really, no actor, few actors could deliver it the way he does. And then he says that other line um, where it's like, you know, I saw the moon when we were out there out, where we were out there on the ocean, shining down on everything. I've been miserable for so long, years of my life wasted for you. Been a long time coming here to meet you, a long time on a crooked road, um, talking to Meg Ryan. And um, it's just, like, really, like, fantastic writing. And it's strange. It, it, and then, of course, they jump in a volcano. So then there's that, like, silly backdrop of that. And the volcano yeah. <laughs> shoots them back out. Yeah, it, it's like but, a, but like, like a burst of air. Yeah, it's like this movie gives you little bits before like being like, wait, nope, still silly though. And um, I think that's some of the big swings that a lot of people appreciate about it. Um, yeah, the uh, the crooked road aspect. Um, that's one thing that I don't. I wouldn't have noticed it. But I saw it on IMDb, and like fans of it, I'm sure who've seen it multiple times would pick up on it. But so the company logo he works at has kind of almost like a lightning bolt shape. That's yeah, like and the entrance. Kind of, yeah, there's like the zigzag, but you see it on like some signs. But then the entrance they walk on has the same. Like they have to walk basically like a a sidewalk that zigzagged and gives a whimsical kind of like, oh, why would anyone build a sidewalk like that? Why would they walk this way? So you see that kind of lightning bolt shape there. It's also the same shape as the crack in Joe's house. So, like, the apartment Mm. or whatever has a big crack, and they replicate that shape. Um, When he walks up to the volcano, it's the same shape going up to the volcano. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, like, uh, I guess they used it in, like, the film's trailer. Um, They had, like, a lightning bolt traveling up the film's title, and it strikes the top. So like that was that's kind of an interesting element that's buried in there that's not immediately recognizable, but they kept it hmm. as like, you know, just something to kind of like create this sort of cohesion to what you're watching. Yeah. What one of the things that like really struck me is, and I think people experience this, and I, I think what why the movie can resonate with you, and I didn't anticipate, you know. I just anticipated, you know, like what Steve said, this just being a silly, you know, semi-forgotten, like, early 90s comedy. I wasn't uh, expecting to come away with any, like, life life, introspect- life introspection. Um, but when Joe finds out he's dying, um, he's never even had the ability or, like, feel, feels like he had earned the right to dream about, like, what he could do if he could do anything like he has no plans like he has no idea what to do he has to ask the chauffeur where should i shop at where should i like how sh- like how should i do this how should I do-? like he doesn't know what to do with with the i mean what we'll say like the gift that you know you have this much amount of time promised to you like go 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 do whatever the guy gives him his like all these cards uh, credit cards to spend like whatever he wants to as part of the deal um and you know i think a lot of people like feel that same way it's like yeah you the only time you do that escapism is like uh and you talk about with your coworkers have you ever bought into like the lottery with coworkers before it's like what would you do with it and that's the only time we can actually like have the mini vacation 
of oh, I would do that. Like, and that's good, an office good, space. That, good question, that's though, I, Fabs. You you love yeah. your your podcast questions. What is your do, yes. what is your lottery uh, what is your lottery wish? I know what mine is, but I'm curious to throw around um, the three. If of we're us. talking like if we're talking like crazy ass money, yeah, like one of those. Like, are we, are we talking like a half billion dollar lottery? The, the, the way the way I always look at it for myself is, I I have one specific thing in mind. If it was, if I had enough money to justify it, and this is after I had enough money of like, I'm good on retirement and investments and like kids college. So it's like I wouldn't do this to like at the detriment of those things. But if mm, that okay. stuff's like. Okay, I'm I've got five million, and that's I I don't I don't care anymore. That's good, you know. At that point, then the question is, what's the big crazy I have rich money thing you do? Okay. What like not that you wouldn't do multiple, but what's right, the first right. thing you would jump to of like I could okay. I can do this now and I will because I've okay. had this one for years. I okay, so if I had the craziest amount of money, I'd want to buy into a sports franchise, but like. A, I would want to do the like. It's a Wonderful Life is one of my favorite movies. Yes. I know Linton loves it. Yes, I want to go on a. I want to go on that the adventure. I want to like get the suitcase. I want to travel like all over the world. I want to go to Africa. I want to go to parts of Asia. You I never spit even spit in George Bailey's face and say, "I can do it. You can." <laughs> I George. did it, George Bailey. <laughs> I want to go on. Like the Orient Express, like a, a crazy train ride. Yeah. I want to go on a, a boat adventure. Like you wanna, I would do you that. You want to climb Mount Bedford? I get it. Yes, I want to. I would spend a year doing that with my wife. Like yeah. that would just be the most fun adventure to just just do it yeah. and like. And your kids are in an orphanage. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I, my kids. I've I've sold them so I can have this money. <laughs> All to myself. <laughs> I and, like yeah. yeah. I, uh, I'm just wondering, like, how much Fab's kids are worth. That's all. <laughs> Go on. I mean, yeah, problem. I would dress as Abe Vigoda <laughs> if I had that money. Abe, Abe Vigoda right. transformation surgery. Steven, um, your, I, uh, your all expenses paid, uh, you know, dream here. Okay, aside from the stipulations of uh, retirement, kids taking care of the house yeah. paid off, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I have always had this wish that I would become like the game master general and I would create like <laughs> oh I'm and I would create the these like either citywide or even like nationwide games where people would compete for like money that I've like hidden. And so I would I would concoct okay. like all right. I would concoct I like, like these games I where like, like you know it would be a lottery of people or actually I'd probably you know maybe I maybe people would apply and I would create these like sort of games, but like essentially I would be the master of the game and I would create these scenarios where a group of people are like racing or competing for like money (laughs) and they would have to escape these traps or they'll be killed. (laughs) There might be some danger. I don't know. Um, But I've always thought like, they've got a bear trap attached to their head. (laughs) (laughs) What does that sound? Um, But I've always thought it would be interesting if you did it even on like, that was one of my pipes on, (laughs) In my garage, I guess, started squealing. I probably should get a plumber because that sounds that sounds bad. Oh, that's what I would do. I would pay to fix that pipe. <laughs> um, that pipe that's currently pouring water out behind you. 
Um, <laughs> it's just everywhere. I'm going to drown soon, <laughs> but like, it's okay. It's worth the podcast. But yeah, no, I think like, I actually have always thought about doing it just in like a city setting, like where if you, um, you know, you became like, like I said, the game master general of your city and you just created these like really elaborate fun games for people and like the money's hidden somewhere, but you got to, you know, compete yeah. for it. And it could be like everybody or, you know, and like every, it's like every summer, the new game's coming. And like, I I, th- I just think that would be like a wild way to, <laughs> to spend your time. Steve, you've told me about that too. Like I, that would be so fucking amazing. Like, I, I mean, I, people would die from it. Totally. But oh, like, yeah. it would be the amazing. liability yeah, is like, like it, really bad. Like there's no doubt there's blood. Your on my insurance hands. policy would be so like bad, <laughs> yeah. but you know, what are you going to do? So my uh, my dream, I would say it's not as elaborate as Steve's, which I'm all about and all for. <laughs> um, and Fabs's dream of just like traveling the world, like definitely appealing, and it would be an element. I think we all would like just travel a ton if you had that kind of money. Um, but mine is very specific, and it uh, it probably would cost more than Fabs' trip. I would think. But I don't know. It depends on how many places you would go in how much time and how much you would do when you're there. Uh, it's hard to say. But I have for years. Some people may feel this is silly. I think the boys on this podcast will be in full support of it. Fabs mentioned one of his favorite movies being It's a Wonderful Life. It is one of mine as well. But uh, one of my favorite films is Back to the Future. And I want a goddamn photo film accurate back to the future delorean which many of them exist like um you know you can obviously get a delorean like an original um or refurbished and stuff they've done some re-releases of them too that might actually operate better um but then there's like these guys in texas who like they do it as a job they do other stuff um and they like retrofit things and like repair stuff like classic cars and things but they actually will like take if you have a DeLorean and you have the cash to do it, and they've done this for like other rich film crazies like myself, but minus the rich, <laughs> um, they will take a DeLorean and then they add all the stuff like oh, down to exactly awesome. exactly how it looks from the film. They have like molds of the original parts and and all the kind of stuff oh so it's my like God, that's yeah awesome. i mean it looks to a t oh. and then you know it's all lights you know you turn knobs and it all lights up like all of it i mean it all it doesn't do is time travel sadly <laughs> but uh but everything else wow. is functional and i think you know when you look on their website they basically say you know with the cost of the car and then the cost of their stuff like a, a rough approximation of like what it would take because, like, they say, like, it depends on how much the car costs you, and some cars are going to be in better shape than others, and we'll, like, do repairs. And But I think kind of a rough number they gave was, like, in total about a hundred grand. Not bad. And so it's like, obviously, I don't have a hundred grand sitting around, but if you win the lottery, it's like, well, mm-hmm. if I won $5 million, like, a hundred yeah. grand at that point, it's like, well, Absolutely. that's fucking happening now. That's so. even a, That would even be enough money left over for you to have Christopher Lloyd on retainer. To, to come and <laughs> hang out with you with the DeLorean. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, keeping Christopher Lloyd in my basement, surely. Yes, that's where this will end. And uh, we'll go on adventures together. And... Eat the bologna, Chris. <laughs> I, 
I, I've got family. Can I? Can I go back? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Christopher. I'm your family now. <laughs> um, all right. So some other uh, weird and whimsical things this movie does that I jotted down. So the factory at the beginning, when he's going into this dead end job, it has what I think is supposed to look like a clown face on the front. There's like mm. this weird machinery stuff in front, and it's if you go back, if you still have the file or whatever, and look at it. I mean, I think it's like almost – it certainly was supposed to look like a face, but it has this kind of goofiness to it that I think it's supposed to almost look like a clown. And um, so that had like a whimsical thing to it. Um, at one point when they're on the boat, they capture a hammerhead shark that is the most cartoonish <laughs> yeah. puppet I've ever seen in my life. But I think the movie's in on it. I think that's yeah. intentional and supposed yeah. to be a little playful. Um, so they did that. That's true. And then uh, the production design when they get to the island of like all the island natives and stuff. I mean, it's a fictitious tribe, but they're trying to make it look um, like the South Pacific, uh, Pacific Islander kind of thing. A lot of like headdresses, a lot of face paint and body paint. Um, It's just very colorful. It's very out there. Um, I guess the closest thing I could compare it to is like when you watch Black Panther and they're doing like African styles in a very heightened way that's like not really Africa, but they're kind of like taking Africa and like cartooning it. Mm -hmm. Um, This is kind of what they do here. Um, We alluded to it earlier of like how, you know, I think there probably are some Pacific Islander people like with the like ladies and stuff. I think some of them looked like they could be, but none of the speaking roles were like Pacific Islander. You know, it's like Abe Vigoda and Nathan Lane of all people. (laughs) Um, and it's like, then they're fine in the roles, but it's the kind of thing that ain't going to fly these days. Um, and, uh, but, but Ava Goda has a few funny parts, including when Meg Ryan asks him, cause he's the chief, asks him to marry her and Tom Hanks, like at the mouth of the volcano before he would jump. And so she brings him up here to ask him that. And he goes, okay. Yeah. Um, and just this very like Abe Vigoda delivery. And then after he marries them, he's like, I'm going to leave now. And he's like staring straight at the camera when he does it. So it feels like a breaking the fourth wall moment. So um, anyway, those were some of the kind of like out there fun bits for me. Yeah. I like that. I just like that. uh, I like a movie that just kind of does whatever the hell it wants. And just is sort of like, you're either on board with it or you're not, but we're going to make what we, feel is going to entertain us or make us laugh or what we just like is a decision we want to make like the silly hammerhead shark or you know maybe breaking the the fourth wall a little bit or the interesting like stylistic choices of you know like you had mentioned the river or the giant moon or it's just like it's like hey this would look cool and it's just like well let's just do it and i i do always appreciate Mm -hmm. movies that sort of just kind of have the aesthetic they're looking for and have a vision and um and i think it resonates like that that's the kind of stuff that like keeps a movie like this in people's minds 30 some years later because it could have just been a bland yeah. it could have just been a bland studio comedy this isn't amblin right. this is an amblin movie too this is yeah, that's that's something I uh, wanted to mention. Yeah, it's Amblin, which uh, I'm sure most movie fans will know by at least the visual of the logo, if not by the name. It's the uh, very famous production company of Steven Spielberg from way back in the day. They kind of stopped using it much in like kind of by the late 
2000s, early 2010s. But more recently, I think some more stuff has gone under the Amblin name for because he got into DreamWorks. So most of his stuff was like being presented as like a DreamWorks film instead of an Amblin film. Um, but more stuff lately, I think, has been going back under Amblin. And uh, so Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, the the uh, Star Wars chud's favorite punching bag, Kathleen Kennedy, <laughs> yeah. even though she fucking like created your childhood in the 80s. Um, Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall, her husband, um, you know, they Kennedy and Marshall worked on the Indiana Jones films and Back to the Future and stuff. So Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall, all, you know, major players at Amblin, co-founders or whatever, they are listed as producers on this film as well. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Fabs? Oh, I was going to say, like, uh, to your point, you brought up a bunch of great examples. Um, th- this is an era, and, like, I, there, there's so much streaming that, like, I know you can still have um, – uh, content that goes for it and and tries a bunch of new and innovative stuff. But uh, in terms of like theatrical releases and stuff like that, I just feel like it's so neutered now. Where you know, if someone submitted this script, uh, I've been in enough like writing meetings, writing workshops with other writers, where the moment you pitch anything like outlandish, like oh, and it's gonna be the shark, but it's gonna be a really cartoonish looking shark. It's like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you should, like, it should be a real shark. Or, like, all the, all those, like, fun, bizarro things, like, just get, like, pushed aside now. And so it's, that's, I think, that's one of the reasons you, like, Steve and I wanted to do a podcast dedicated to the 90s. Because there still was that, like, and I know the 80s had this, too. Like, that magic of, like, you can do some strange, strange stuff. And there was more experimentation. There really was, and and it, and it and was you didn't have algorithms, from like, correct? You know, yes. So and it was experimentation from like Amblin too. It wasn't like it wasn't some you know indie filmmaker who like this one Sundance and like has a cult following. Like no, this is it's like a major Spielberg's studio production. Yeah, company. it's got like a ton of big names behind it because at that point Tom Hanks was a name, and you had right. huge names producing it. So, and they ran with it. And, I mean, it didn't really do that well at the box office initially, but, like, it was a movie everybody must have believed in and and wanted to make, whereas today, I, I could even conceive of this movie being made. I, that's why, like, a movie like Sorry for Bothering You, which uh, you we did um, on a previous episode here, is, like, such an incredible movie for when it came out a couple years ago because it's, yeah. it's one of those movies yeah. that's, like, so utterly unique and takes so many wild swings that I, you, most most of the time you couldn't even imagine that happening in this day and age. Yeah, I, I defy anyone to predict where uh, the last third of the movie is going to go. I, I defy you if you've not seen it. Um, there is there's no way uh, you can no. you can figure that one out, but. Uh, all right, yeah, so let's, a uh, few things to wrap up, I'll throw out, like, apparently Julia Roberts auditioned for the female lead. Oh, yes, um, interesting. So, uh, you I, know, I could work. see yeah. her in, in, in her era, you know, when she was in this kind of stuff. Uh, I also say, I thought the soundtrack was pretty fun. It's full of a lot of, like, pop songs of different eras, um, you know, a lot of, like, 60s, 70s kind of stuff, but some of them were, like, 
kind of classy, you know, Sinatra, Nat King Cole kind of things at, at points. They just had some like good needle drops that kind of kept the kept the movie chugging along. Um, mm-hmm. So I like that. And then I know Fabs in your uh, in your notes that you shared with us, you had another question, which was which I think is worth addressing. You asked, "Would you take the deal?" If you were in Tom Hanks' position and you believed you were dying in six months, and um, uh, what's the uh, Lloyd Bridges came to you and it's like you'll live like a king and die like a man, I believe is how he puts it. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, granted, I would say the Lloyd Bridges deal wasn't so great because, like, he well, I guess he he was on a timetable because the volcano was going to erupt. Yeah. But he presented it like he like Tom Hanks was going to get to the island and like hang out there for a while. But now that right. I think, but now I'm thinking of it, that probably was the plan. But then the ship wrecked. So. Oh yeah, and they were floating around right. for probably like weeks. So so basically, Tom Hanks could have been hanging out on the island for like a week or something. Um, but then he lost that opportunity because of the shipwreck. Anyway, so I guess the deal wasn't. He that wasn't bullshit. That was probably legit. That part, but um, but yeah. So if you're in Tom Hanks' shoes, and you've kind of hated your life for a long time, and you've been miserable, and you're a hypochondriac, and now you think you legitimately are dying, and you have a little bit of a spark in you now, um, and this guy comes to you and says, "Yeah, you'll live like a king and die like a man," and he presents to you like, "Oh, you've already faced death, and you've saved people and burning buildings." And also, I'd say probably the the appeal of is this brain? I mean, the doctor says that the brain cloud. I think he says it won't be painful. Mm-hmm. I think he does, right? But but I guess still, you might have a lingering feeling of like maybe it's not painful, but do I want to go through my body just shutting down? And you know, like so, you you have that lingering out there versus. Jumping into a volcano, which admittedly terrifying, but is going to be over in seconds. So uh, the question you had, Fabs, was would you do it? So I will open that up as a question for everyone. Um, I, if I'm in the exact same situation where I don't have any, you know, family right, or right. yeah, um, you know, I I probably would do it. Uh, also knowing, you know, if I get cold feet. I have these guys' credit cards, and uh, maybe I'll just disappear, and I'll be dead in five months anyway, or he'll kill me. So there's really no lose-lose here. Uh, but I think I the appeal he, of he an would, adventure. I figure he would cancel the cards if you didn't like board the plane and shit, though. Yeah, that's probably probably very fair and uh, accurate. It's exactly <laughs> what he would do. Um, I Yeah, I mean, I would do it to have a grand adventure, especially because they do a good job of – um, his character getting this lease on life and and quitting his job in a way that like you don't need Lloyd Bridges to talk him into it. He's already kind of in that mental mind uh, mind space of like I like I I'm out like I I I gotta go live my life. He just doesn't know he doesn't have the ability to do that, uh, especially when you know his uh, date doesn't end up super great. Uh, so yeah, I would do it. It is an interesting proposition. Like, it wouldn't be one that I would dismiss right out of the gate. But I think, like, I, I think I would probably, like, initially say yes. And then when he gave me all his cards and stuff, I would probably, like, run to the bank and try and take out as much money as I possibly could. <laughs> get the cash get the out, cash. Yeah. And then, because, like, he's like, spend whatever you want. And so he won't think of it. 
until like I'm already gone. And so I'd probably just do that <laughs> and then just steal all this dude's cash and then disappear. Especially early 90s, harder to track you. Oh, and yeah, stuff. Dude, you could get out of there. You, you, you just immediately could like charter a plane to a, another country or something. I, I feel like you could get away with it. And then you could go on like your big adventure for five or six months. And then and then you uh, wake up one day and it's like two years later and you're like, oh, I guess the brain cloud went away and you got to have a pretty good time. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I would totally I, uh, chicken out. I would I would not actually go I, through with it. I like I like your plan of just uh, just wanton theft. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy that. And that's a good angle. That's a good answer. I like. Because when you put it to us, Fabs, I was thinking about it, and I think it, it would depend on what Tom Hanks meant when he said, like, he had no money. Like, because he says early on, like, when the doctor tells him, oh, go on a trip, and he's like, oh, I spent all my money on doctors. And so it's a question of, like, does he mean he spent a ton of money on doctors, or does he literally have, like, nothing in his bank account? Which would be a little weird if he legitimately had, like, nothing because he just quit his job, and yeah, I know he hates it and it's, he's miserable, but he, at that point, he thinks he has six months left. Can you even pay the rent? He says he you only know, has so that, a couple hundred the, bucks. Okay, yeah. I must have missed that. Well, so, so that that makes it more complicated because it's like the thing I got hung up on is Lloyd Bridges' proposition is like you know you can do all these great things and you can like go out in a blaze of glory. But you have to do it in the next 11 days. There's a timetable on it versus he has six months. So he's told earlier that day or whatever, you have six months to live. Nobody wants to hear that. That's going to be like, a oh, shit. And you're going to reassess your life. Now it's down to 11 days. Even if it's like a fun 11 days, you've just lost five and two thirds Mm -hmm. of a month. And so it's like, well, I could do a lot of living in six months that, you know, like, so, so that would be, and especially he, as you said, Fabs, he already has this kind of new lease on life and he's going to just kind of be like, he's very like Lester Burnham in American beauty, like, fuck it. I'm going to do what I want. Right. And so at that point, I mean, that kind of makes sense what you're saying, Steve, of just like his fuck it or my fuck it could just be, I'm just going to fucking steal all your money and just leave. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the one that would hang me up is not so much like, I mean, obviously you have the fear element and all that kind of stuff, but it's the fact that you're losing so much time by agreeing to do it. And, uh, and that's what would hang me up a bit. Yeah. So that's where I was like, no, I don't know. That's a fair point. And so I, I read something, uh, I'm going to re- Real fast. Um, And he said, I was in my early 40s with a a lot of life before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays and talking about the options and talking about sweet time. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end. How's it hit you? And he said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I spent 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. That's the great Tim McGraw live like you were dying so it seems like he would take the take the deal i was wondering where you were fucking taking i this. thought it was gonna be <laughs> abe vagoda abe vagoda no no who's tim mcgraw might be his cousin i i don't actually know if that's a fact or not but 
I, I honestly thought you like just forgot to mention the director's name and you were like describing the story of how he came to write this movie and then you end it with fucking Tim McGraw and I'm like, you goddamn bastard. It, it that adds, is a good point. And, that, and, that, and that, of course, was the poet laureate Toby Keith, everyone. Great American author Toby Keith. Put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. That wait, no, that was like the only thing where I was like, Ugh, I don't know, because even though he did have like no money, I, I and that's what the, well, that's a problem though. It's like I don't know like how you you couldn't like then you're just spending you're barely getting by for six months. So that's the you know that's the ex- yeah. existential question yeah. is like, rich guy would you rather around. have like. Yeah, would you rather have two weeks of, like, actually living or just, like, surviving for five months? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, yeah, that's why he is just like, oh, fuck it. Okay, I'll do it. I do love how quickly he answers. It's it's a good beat. Tom, that's the thing, man. Tom Hanks, like, he's, he is great. He's like Leonardo DiCaprio. He's fantastic comedically, and he's got such great timing, but... His, I mean, and yeah. he's done some comedic stuff, certainly. Um, yeah. But, you know, not much pure comedy past his early days. But there's one in particular that was hard comedy that we will do on this show that I am a big fan of that often gets trashed. The Lady Killers? It's perfectly. Lady Killers. I love the I like it too. Oh, I love Lady Killers too. Yeah, but people trash that movie. They think it's like w- the worst thing the Coens have done, which number one, I don't think that's true at all. And number two, like there's so much fun in it. Yeah. And Tom Hanks in particular is so great in that role. What do you think is their worst movie? Intolerable Cruelty. I thought okay, you'd say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not – well, they didn't really write it. It was a different script that, that they – by someone else that they then took and like Cohen did a little bit like they changed, they added to it and changed it. I did rewatch it. Um, I rewatched basically the ones that I've never, I own more of Cohen stuff than I think any other director, like by percentage, like the vast majority of their stuff I own, but there's a handful where like, they just don't hit for me. So like a serious man, I think is a good film, but not like mind blowing. Yeah, uh, the man who wasn't there also good. Also has a lot of good stuff in it, but just not something I need to watch like again and again. Hail Caesar, I thought was pretty bad when I saw it in the theater. So I rewatched all these recently just to like give them another shot. Hail Caesar was a little bit better than I gave it credit for, but I still think it's like pretty low end. Mm-hmm. And then Intolerable Cruelty has always been my bottom. And I watched it, and there were some funny parts that I was like, okay. I'll give them credit. Like these moments work, but I would still maintain. I think that's the worst one they've done. That's right. right. Completely agree. I love Barton Fink. I love Barton Fink. Yeah. So much. There's that good joke uh, from the Simpsons where the, all the Bart's, Barton Barton Fink. Fink. Barton We're going to go Fink. see a rated R movie. <laughs> Barton Fink. Ah, <laughs> 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 <sighs> Ah, uh, the glory days. Yeah. Uh, all right. Take us home. So uh, we'll we'll wrap up here. Uh, any other stray thoughts before we wrap up? Anything else you want to throw out about the film? Um, you know, specific moments or anything. Otherwise, we are going into the end game. 
<laughs> I'll just say I really enjoyed Meg Ryan. Like, I really enjoyed that she got to play three characters. Mm-hmm. I thought I was super surprised by that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I the 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 second character you're introduced to uh, Angelica I think is her name mm-hmm. um was like pretty bizarre but I also just like totally dug it and I it was surprising in, in in a very good way and it was cool because like you don't often get to see a female actress getting to play multiple characters it's almost always like Eddie Murphy always Eddie Murphy or Mike Myers. uh Mike My- yeah just Oh, that that's always what it is. So like, I, I honestly can't even think of another time where they did that bit. Like that's as it with a female character. So, hmm. uh, or a female actor. So I, I thought that was awesome. I have no other thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, wrapping up here, would you recommend Joe versus the volcano? I do have a thought there. And the answer would be yes. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were like, I do have something else to add, actually. <laughs> no, just just that I would recommend it. It's it's a uh, I can see how this has become a cult classic for sure. Um, and uh, it, it, it I feel like it would hit differently for everybody who watches it. And so I feel like anybody watching it would get something different out of it. It's a very interesting uh, philosophical existential kind of movie and um it'll it i bet it would stick with you if you've never seen it before so yes check it out i would also recommend it it's a lot of fun it's very bizarre uh it has a ridiculous cast as lynn pointed out and i'll just wrap it with saying abe vagoda lived to the ripe old age of 94 and had one daughter and her name was carol okay wow (laughs) wow that's a good closer. Yeah. So for myself, uh, yeah, I'd recommend this. I, I mentioned to Steve before we started, I, I did actually see this movie as a kid. And I'm talking like, you know, I was probably seven, eight, something like that. And I'm guessing I either like rented it on VHS or got it at the library or something. And my and likely or, or it was on HBO. And likely the reason I would have been watching it is because of probably the burbs. Because I grew up and the burbs would be on TV or we would rent it or whatever. And so that was like kind of my introduction to Tom Hanks. And I liked the Burbs um, for like kind of the mystery element and the kind of Adams family type horror element and stuff going on. So it was probably like in that mentality of, uh, oh, Tom, that this guy from the Burbs, Tom Hanks. And also, I will say, even as a kid, I recognize Steven Spielberg's name with like good movies. Mm-hmm. Like a movie that had Steven Spielberg like or Amblin on it, but I probably was it's mostly his name was like, oh, well, that means it'll be good and I will like it because the the Back to the Future trilogy. He was on that. He was on both, you know, producer for Back to the Future trilogy, both Gremlins films, Arachnophobia hitting in 19, I think 90, you know, and I'm a kid when that's coming out. Jurassic Park obviously is huge for me and the planet when it comes out. E.T., Jaws, I mean, you know who Steven Spielberg is. But uh, basically, <laughs> that may have been another contributing factor. I could have seen Spielberg's name and been like, oh, I'll watch this thing. I remember not liking it as a kid. I'm not surprised. Solely because I just wouldn't have gotten some of the stuff they're trying to do here. I would have just mm-hmm. seen it as like, oh, it's just like a romance movie and he's going to die, I guess. And that probably would have been my 
approach. But now I kind of see, you know, more of the kind of playful spirit to it and how it sets itself apart. So I did, uh, on rewatching it, I didn't know if I was going to enjoy it or if it was going to be a slog or whatever. Um, but no, I did enjoy it. Um, it's not something I'll own, but it was worth watching. If you're a big Tom Hanks fan, if you like You've Got Mayo and Sleepless in Seattle and you want to see like where it all began, <laughs> it's worth watching for that. If you like Brazil and Hudsucker Proxy and I guess The Matrix <laughs> and The Matrix. Mummy, then, uh, then maybe watch it for those reasons. Uh, if you just like kind of whimsical throwback movies, like because this does have that kind of like old Hollywood vibe at to some degree, it could be worth watching for those reasons. Um, but yeah, and if you just like romantic comedies, it might just be kind of an offbeat romantic comedy that uh, you know you aren't used to seeing and kind of breaks some of the formulaic aspects you're used to. So I would recommend Joe vs. Volcano. Definitely worth checking out. Thank you, Chloe, for uh, making the request. And once again, if anyone has any requests in the future, hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Facebook. Uh, please like and subscribe and all that fucking bullshit that mm -hmm, everybody mm -hmm, says. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but follow us. Uh, I'm more active on Twitter myself, and I'll you know share like film stuff, film related things, and you know film memes and things I see. Um, but uh, you know, obviously, you can follow us on anything. I post any new episode that comes out on both platforms. Follow these boys at uh, Revenge of Nineties Pod. Mm -hmm. Um, and they do a lot of good work over there as well. The good people at Revenge of the 90s. That's please, right. Uh, please support them. Thank you. Um, but uh, they do a lot of uh, interesting 90s episodes, and I've been on a number of those as well. All right. So, yeah, it's a recommendation for me for Joe vs. the Volcano. Moving on to Can I Find This? So this movie is pretty well uh, represented out there. You can track it down a lot of streaming services, Hoopla, Redbox, Google Play, YouTube, Vudu, Microsoft, Apple TV, Amazon, and others. And then it is on DVD and is on Blu-ray. So pretty much any way you want to see Joe versus the Volcano, you can. Uh, okay, so that wraps it up for this one. And then our next episode, we're recording this one a bit in advance, but our next episode following this is going to be our April 1st episode which is our Uncanny Cinema switcheroo. Oh. Now, that is one of three times throughout the year where we are going to do a film. We did one at Christmas. We're doing one at, uh, in April, and we're going to do one in the summer. Um, it's where we do a film that's actually very famous um, that we normally wouldn't do. It would be fall outside of our parameters, but just because kind of a little treat for me and for our panel and for our listeners Every once in a while, we'll do something like that. So last year's April Fool's Day switcheroo was The Last Jedi. And uh, this Christmas one we just did was on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the amazing film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate mm -hmm, Factory. Nice. So uh, I was trying to look at look find something a little different, switch things up, try to think of a different genre that we might not normally do, um, especially for like a really famous one. And I've got some uh, cast in mind for that. So we are going to be looking at the uh, film version of Cabaret, hmm. the uh, very famous musical nice. Cabaret. And then they made it into a, a very famous and Oscar-winning film in the 70s. So we're going to be looking at Cabaret. And then in the summer, we'll come back with another movie uh, that I have planned for that. So uh, keep listening, and we'll have another very famous movie in the summer 
But yeah, our next one is going to be that switcheroo, and it will be Cabaret. So uh, join us for that one, and we'll see you then.